0: Grab a big old piece of chocolate because it's time for demon-fighting practice. You're listening to The Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for facing your fears.
1: The Patronus is a kind of positive force, a projection of the very things that the Dementor feeds upon, hope, happiness, the desire to survive. But it cannot feel despair, as real humans can, so the Dementors can't hurt it. The incantation is this. Expecto Patronum. Expecto Patronum. Harry repeated under his breath. Expecto Patronum.
2: I'm Heather Price-Wright. And I'm Alex Vallenberg. And uh, first of all, we have to apologize because we did not do an episode last week. We fully intended to, but um, our muggle lives are almost as full as our wizarding lives, so apologies and this week we're going to do kind of a short episode. We promised in episode 19 that there would be three chapters this week, but in fact we are only discussing one chapter and that chapter is the Patronus in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. So we'll get back on a normal schedule and a normal length as soon as we can. Um, Just, you know, shit's going down in our lives. Speaking of shit going down, you're going to hear cursing <laughs> and you're going to hear some spoilers. So those are two things coming your way on this episode of The Quibbler, as on all episodes. There will also be some adult themes. This week's adult themes are overscheduling, bad kissers, and friends from high school. Also, this is episode 20. So before you summarize for us, let's just take a minute to say, holy shit, we've done 20 of these. Vente. Yeah, that's how you say that in another language. Uh, you want to tell us what happened this week?
0: Yes, in this week's chapter, Harry and Ron are real pissed with Hermione because she ratted out the Firebolt, which is now being stripped down by Professor McGonagall and Professor Flitwick to check for jinxes. Oliver Wood sidles up to Harry and is like, hey, um, you working on your little problem there? Because don't want to lose the next Quidditch match. So no pressure on Harry to figure out how to fight the soul-sucking baddies that are prowling the uh, the Hogwarts grounds. Hermione's taking a lot of classes. No one really knows how she's doing it because she seems to be in multiple places at once. But that's not possible, is it? Or is it? Because it's a magic school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's
2: a very good point. Yeah. All <laughs> bets are off.
0: <laughs> Harry and Ron are like, Oh, nothing strange could be happening, could it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) They are kind of like that. You're right. All right. That would be
0: magical. Uh, Harry begins Dementor fighting lessons with Professor Lupin. This entails learning the Patronus charm, extremely advanced magic. The Patronus summons a, like, a guardian that protects you from the Dementors because it can't feel despair and ennui and all other kinds of terrible human feelings.
2: Is ennui terrible? I think that's just sort of like low neutral. I I feel ennui constantly.
0: Well, if you had a Patronus it could feel it for you, I guess. I think my Patronus
2: is (laughs) Welbutrin. Anyway, go on.
0: Patronus would be the name of like an antidepressant. Yeah. Patronus. Uh, To conjure the Patronus, you need to focus on the single happiest thought that you have and say, expecto Patronum. Lupin puts Harry through the paces, attempts to cast Patronus again and again and again, keeps passing out, and uh, he sweats a lot. Uh, Cold sweats. Anyway, he, um, what else did they say about it? That's
2: he it. eventually, sort yeah, of does he, he
0: eventually sort of casts like a feeble Patronus, but that's pretty good for super advanced magic. Uh, McGonagall finds Harry after lessons and says, "Yo, your broom isn't jinxed to kill you, so here's the Firebolt." Everybody's super happy. Harry and Ron decide they should maybe make up with Hermione because you know the Firebolt's back. No harm, no foul. Ron heads back up to the dormitory to give Scabbers his rat tonic, but Scabbers bah, 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 has vanished. There's a bloodstain on Ron's sheets and a few ginger hairs from Crookshanks. So. Rat murder. Rat murder. That it's is a.
2: Conclusion. That
0: is a complication in Ron and Hermione's relationship, and that's where we are this week. You know, one chapter, but. Kind of a pivotal one in a lot of ways with the I don't know. Every chapter feels pivotal as you get toward, like... Because we're not really toward the end of the book. There's still a lot of book left.
2: We're in the second half. Yeah. Plus, this is a super plotty one of them. Yeah. Like, Harry learns a ton in this book. So every chapter is chock full of, like, incredibly important life lessons.
0: So let's talk about sports. Now, you hit me with an interesting link this week... About how Joe Rowling came up with the idea for Quidditch.
2: I didn't actually hit you with that, Link. This tidbit comes to us from a new listener, whose name is Varsha, to sort of try to start to justify the rules of Quidditch, which we find deeply absurd and upsetting. And um, she hit us with a little bit of knowledge to kind of explain why they were designed so upsettingly. So
0: why, why does Quidditch make no sense?
2: Well... Part of it is because apparently JK Rowling sort of came up with the concept and sketched out the rules for Quidditch pretty soon after a big as they say across the pond row with her boyfriend of the time and she designed the game in part to be deliberately enraging to men. Because of like the headspace she was in. She said that she knew that the outsized point value of the Golden Snitch and a couple of the other rules would be particularly aggravating to men. And because of the headspace that she was in after having just shouted at a man, she was really into that idea. And we bear that out because you find Quidditch infuriating.
0: Yeah, when, when my sister told me about Quidditch and explained the rules before I'd even read the book... I found it so ridiculous that I decided never to read Harry Potter.
2: That it made you say the word redonkulous. They
0: were red- okay. Uh, yeah, redonkulous.
2: That word sucks. I saw- <laughs> <laughs> no, it's That's fine. how
0: you fight a bogart, right?
2: <laughs> ridiculous.
0: Redong- red- <laughs> um, no, but this this makes so much sense. This what? opens this opens up Quidditch for me in a whole new way. All I can say is... I like that it's
2: kind of a troll.
0: Yeah. The troll goes so deep and worked so well on me in particular and so many men I know that just, I'm not even mad, bro. Just respect all the way. That is is brilliant.
2: Well, and I feel like this chapter is kind of sideways coming at the same concept, which is men and sports. (laughs) Let's talk about dudes and sports ball because Harry is so obsessed with the Quidditch season in this chapter that his main motivation for wanting to achieve the power to defeat a demon is so that if they come to a sports ball game he won't have to stop playing sports ball. Like of all of the motivating factors in all the world I could probably name 10,000 reasons that I would want to defeat a demon that would be above like sports. So it's just it's such an interesting motivation and it's something that I find totally mystifying but a lot of them I mean I'm sorry this is really like heteronormative and like kind of getting into some like weird I guess like gender assumptions but I feel like I know men to whom this motivation makes a lot more sense.
0: I think... To any athlete, actually.
2: Yeah, that's uh, true. You
0: know. Um, no, I know.
2: This is I shouldn't have It's spo- not a it's not a Manner from Mars Winnerman or from Venus thing.
0: I noticed that too, rereading this chapter, that I was like, man, like Harry's really putting himself through a lot to basically play one game against Ravenclaw. But- it's
2: intramural. It's not <laughs> even like it's not even like he's playing against like a rival school. He's like passing out multiple times a night and like listening to his parents' murder play in his head because he like wants to win an intramural sports competition. <laughs> it just seems like a lie.
0: Well I, I don't know. like sports is never I'm gonna sound so stupid, but sports is like it's not about the game, man. It's about sports is this vessel through which you improve yourself.
2: I guess, and express yourself. You know? And Quidditch is like one of the main means Harry has for self-expression because a lot of that is really cut off for him, right? Because as we've talked about, he doesn't have a lot of opportunity to like get right. out his emotions. Well, I
0: think back. Remember when I did that hundred and eleven-mile bicycle race El Tour oh, yeah. de Tucson?
2: Alex, psychotically, rode more than a hundred miles on his bicycle yeah. on in one day.
0: And I, you know, I did that to ostensibly like get in better health and lose some weight but I needed that insane and like hang out with a friend yeah, and hang out with a friend it was like but, a really social you know thing I needed too. that insane goal to motivate me so Harry has a lot of reasons to learn how to fight off dementors but Quidditch is the carrot that helps him take the stick I guess
2: and it's usefully concrete Right. I guess there's lots of sort of nebulous reasons why a person might want to learn how to defeat demons.
0: <laughs> Oliver Wood is the worst though. He has no excuse. Yeah, to like that.
2: Oliver Wood is kind of the like hilarious comic extension of this kind of like sports obsession because Oliver Wood there's even a line where Harry says like Oliver Wood didn't seem super concerned to find out that his seeker was Hotly pursued by a world famous murderer. He was mostly like <laughs> pissed about the broomstick. So, yeah, Oliver Wood, like his single mindedness is like Captain Ahab status as opposed to just like a way of kind of like motivating and organizing right. his like life.
1: He's like, What's a few concussions? It's glory. "'Bad news, Harry. I've just been to see Professor McGonagall about the firebolt. "'She, uh, got a bit shirty with me, told me I'd got my priorities wrong. "'Seemed to think I cared more about winning the cup than I do about you staying alive. "'Just because I told her I didn't care if it threw you off as long as you caught the snitch first. "'Wood shook his head in disbelief. "'Honestly, the way she was yelling at me, you'd think I'd said something terrible.'
2: I think he's a really wonderful comic character, actually. He's like, that's. this is not a quibble about Oliver Wood at all, because he's a beautifully constructed piece of comic relief. His monomania is like, an, it's just excellent. It's so perfectly rendered, and that people like that exist.
0: His relationship with Harry is like, really pure too, because he's one of the only characters that wants Harry for something to do Something that has nothing to do with Voldemort or his awful history. To Wood, he doesn't even think about it. Right. He just sees him as
2: a, a part in a machine, a snitch
0: catching cog, or what a cog wouldn't catch a snitch. But you know what I mean.
2: I also think that Wood's relationship with McGonagall is really, really funny <laughs> because like he infuriates her, but she is such a huge sports fan that you can tell that would like gets his way where any other student pulling the same crap would just like immediately get detention he's just like harry it's fine i'll talk to her <laughs> Harry's like what the fuck do you mean you'll talk to McGonagall? and he's like no no believe me like she cares if we win almost more than i do i also like that snape trash talks McGonagall like in the i know. lounge the snape- sports culture okay i'm i guess i'm gonna like maybe take it back this i find the sports culture in this these books is actually fairly believable yeah. It's like going to a high school where, like, football matters. <laughs> it's like a really believable kind of, like, set of motivations and expectations for that this whole school kind of, like, coalesces around.
0: Combined with the epic troll that I just learned about, that it was designed to make no sense, so...
2: It wasn't designed to make no sense. Okay, not
0: no sense, but, I mean, that just the joke of everyone discussing these matches and it being just incomprehensible is...
2: Right, that is the joke, though. Yeah, Yeah. like, she is making a joke about how infuriating it is to listen to sports fans talk about (laughs) sports. Like, she is... It's, like, a huge, like, series-long meta commentary on how insane sports fandom is. And it works really well.
0: And I just... I... It never... I saw some of that, but... No, I know. Like not I I I only grasp maybe a tenth of the comedy there. Yeah. Until that telegraph article. Quidditch
2: is a truly you know. funny element and a truly believable element within these books. And I think we might be taking back our quibble. Wow. I think Quidditch might be a really phenomenally constructed like comic foil to a lot of the really dark shit in these books because the other thing that's very funny is like harry approaches the quidditch season with the same amount of seriousness that he approaches like defeating voldemort right like those are kind of sort of those are like equal goals in harry's school year like win the quidditch cup Get rid of whatever the fuck Voldemort's appearing as this year. <laughs> like, murder, <laughs> quarrel with my hands, yeah. and catch the snitch. Those are my goals. <laughs> New Year's resolution for Harry Potter. Fair. Quidditch, Dark Lord. Speaking of kind of a direct opposite of sports culture, let's talk about Hermione in school, because, like, girl is struggling.
0: Yeah, her. she needs a bigger bag, for one thing. Or...
2: Her bag keeps breaking. Wait, just,
0: this is crazy. We know you can charm bags to, to make them bigger
2: on the inside than the outside. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty. Come on, Hermione. She's just too tired to even like problem solve. And here's the or problem Or does she want
0: everyone to know she's taking a lot of classes?
2: I do think there's a certain amount of like, yeah, she wants it to be. Although that's dumb because like arousing suspicions is a bad idea for her because she's taking a lot of classes super illegally. <laughs> Like, which, God, we'll get to. Which is maybe the dumbest thing in the whole series, is how Hermione is taking all these classes. Uh,
0: Foreshadowing.
2: Hermione's hard in this book. Because, I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. She's coming into her own sooner than the boys are. So she's, like, going through it right now. And, like, a lot of her... Character development in this book is like, she's kind of unpleasant. Harry even says like, can, can you drop something? She's like, no, it's also interesting. And it's like, you're in like <laughs> fifth grade. Yeah. I do appreciate that Hermione is basically the only person at Hogwarts who seems to sort of like value the pursuit of knowledge and like follow her curiosity anywhere. Right. Like she really likes ancient ruins, even though it's hard, which is cool. The other thing... Do you feel like Ron and Harry are showing kind of like a disturbing lack of curiosity in how Hermione is like bending space and time?
0: I mean, Ron asks about it to Harry kind of almost rhetorically. But, you know, Ron is expressing some like the way Ron does half curiosity in what's going on.
2: I actually think it's kind of, wow, I'm like all over the place with my opinions this week because like usually the Ron Hermione storyline like pisses me off, but I... I think it's kind of sweet that you can tell in this chapter that Ron is paying extremely close attention to, like, where Hermione is all the time.
1: How's she doing it? Ron muttered to Harry one evening as Harry sat finishing a nasty essay on undetectable poisons for Snape. Harry looked up. Hermione was barely visible behind a tottering pile of books. Doing what? Getting to all her classes. Ron said. I heard her talking to Professor Vector, that arithmancy witch, this morning. They were going on about yesterday's lesson, but Hermione can't have been there, because she was with us in Care of Magical Creatures, and Ernie Macmillan told me she's never missed a Muggle Studies class, but half of them are at the same time as Divination, and she's never missed one of them either. Harry didn't have time to fathom the mystery of Hermione's impossible schedule at the moment. He really needed to get on with Snape's essay.
2: Like, he has all this evidence that he presents to (laughs) Harry. And Harry's like, bro, how do you know all this? (laughs) And Ron's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah,
0: But, like, I feel like it's It's kind of
2: cute that you can tell that Ron is, like, really, really, really tracking Hermione's whereabouts. And he's like, and then I, like, asked all these people and... Harry's like, I don't know, I literally don't have, have time to think about any of this shit. And Ron's <laughs> like, she's up to something. That's a cute little kind of building of Ron's sort of strange boyish affection for Hermione. Right, right. He's just like, where is she all the time? Do you think that her like bookworminess is like a positive or a negative character trait?
0: It's almost always a positive character trait because she's sort of the human Wikipedia in these books. I know, but... In this it's a bit of a negative because, mostly because we care about Hermione, so we hate to see her doing this to herself at this point.
2: Yeah, I, I just, I wish McGonagall didn't, like, give her permission to do this. I wish McGonagall was like, you have a long time to, like, take all these classes. Like, please don't like, die of exhaustion at age 12. Yeah. That seems stupid. Which <laughs> just seems like a stupid thing to do.
0: If Madame Pomfrey knew, she would have none of this.
2: Oh my god, Madame Pomfrey would be furious! Madame
0: Pomfrey would be prescribing eight hours of sleep. Yeah. At least.
2: Well, no, kids that age need, like, nine and a half hours of sleep. Alright. Like, teenagers need to sleep forever because, like, their limbs are literally growing all the time. How exhausting. I know. Ugh, being that age was so tiring.
0: Yeah, I don't remember fifth grade being this rigorous.
2: I mean, I do remember... Are
0: they in sixth grade?
2: I guess they're kind of... They're probably in sixth grade. They're like 13. Yeah. I do remember... And I mean, I've talked about this before, but like I relate to Hermione a lot. In good ways and bad ways. I think I'm similar. I think we have similar flaws too. But I definitely do remember... Like, feeling like if I didn't learn everything at once that I was going to get like left behind. Like I used to have, I actually still have these, but not as bad. But I used to have panic attacks when I thought about how many books I would just like never read. Like genuine panic attacks, which is so hermione
0: When I was in sixth grade, we made pyramids out of sugar
2: cubes. That's fucking awesome. Aaron made a ziggurat cake.
0: It was really cool. My
2: sister made a cake that was a ziggurat.
0: Wow, that's that's like a weird... We're just making...
2: Just making, making monuments out, out of cubes. Out of
0: sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how could, there's none of that in this book.
2: No. Uh. That's because they don't have any, like, projects. They just write rolls of parchment on, like, incredibly lame yeah. subjects. And
0: point sticks at things.
2: <laughs> that's true. So that's
0: what being a wizard is.
2: Yeah. Pointing sticks at things. Let's kind of transition to the, I guess, the most important thing that happens in this chapter, right. which is the Patronus. The
0: title of the chapter.
2: I'm going to start with a quibble. Okay. So, Bogarts. Lupin uses a Bogart to, as like a facsimile for the, for a real dementor so that Harry can do his anti dementor lessons, not on the real thing. But the Bogart seems to have the same, like, the same effect on Harry as a real dementor would. So, do Bogarts, like, become the evil creatures
0: they seem to take on at least aspects of them maybe like a like a vaccine almost where it's like a weakened form or i I don't know that's how i interpreted it
2: i just that doesn't make a ton of sense to me because like okay so lupin sees a full moon but if the full moon has the same amount of power as like the Bogart Dementor, shouldn't Lupin like transition or begin to become a werewolf? Like, it doesn't, it seems like the Dementor Bogart is the only form the Bogart takes that has any actual powers. Like, the Bogart doesn't become Snape. Right. Or, like, there's one when it's for Seamus, it becomes a banshee, and the banshee scream is supposed to be like deadly, right? But the Banshee screams in the classroom and nothing happens. No, I'm not
0: sure. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... I guess... She needed a way to practice. Oh, I get that.
2: But I just... It's a little clumsy to me. Because, Mm. like, I just feel like there's kind of a hole in logic there. Because, like, okay, later on, Mrs. Weasley's bog art takes the shape of, like, her dead family. Which is clearly just shape-shifting. Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't become dead Arthur Weasley. The idea that the Bogart could, like, act like a Dementor and have the same powers as a Dementor doesn't make that much sense to me. Yeah. So that's, like, a small detail, but I've actually gotten hung up on that. And I've read this particular Harry Potter book more than even any of the rest of them. This is the one I've read, like, probably 50 times. And I get hung up on that detail every time. It just, like, doesn't make a ton of sense.
0: Yeah. Huh. But... I don't have a good answer for you, unfortunately. Somebody uh, might. If yeah, if anyone has any theories,
2: if you if you think you know how this might work, I don't know. I just always found it a little clunky as like a way of, and I get why she did it, but I just it seems a yeah, little. I bit. still like the scene. I know the scene's great, but that it just like that always trips me up. Like, mm-hmm. how does the Bogart become a Dementor? Right. So let's talk about the scene.
0: I've always liked the Patronus because. We get more details about the mechanics of magic. It's the spell we learn the most about. I mean, it involves a lot of force of will and imagination, visualization. You have to think about your happiest memory and focus on it in the face of, like... Evil. Evil, yeah, evil. In the face of evil... um, in the face of overwhelming despair. I mean, it's kind of... Harry's basically going through, like, cognitive behavioral therapy in these chapters. Yeah. Facing the Dementor or the faux Dementor over and over and over again and focusing on
2: his happy um, memory.
0: It's like exposure therapy.
2: Yeah, it is. That's a really good way of putting it. And this seems to be the most, like, emotionally cathartic Mm -hmm. thing that Harry has gotten to do so far in this whole series. Like... Conjuring the Patronus is an interesting sort of stand-in for some kind of yeah therapeutic effort,
0: and it's difficult magic, as Lupin explains. Right. and I think I think the difficulty and what Rowling is asking us here is what's a happy memory?
2: Yeah. So I have a couple things I want to say. First of all, I think it's really deliberate that it is Lupin that introduces Harry to this magic. Mm -hmm. Because Lupin is the first adult that offers Harry healthy and constructive and open-minded ways of processing his grief. Lupin is the first grown-up in the series and remains throughout the series one of the most reliable grown-ups for Harry to safely express his emotions. So I think it's like a really deliberate choice that Lupin is the person who teaches Harry the Patronus because Lupin is basically the first adult to give Harry any kind of emotional support, Mm -hmm. essentially. I guess Hagrid maybe you could say has done the same thing, but Hagrid's pretty ill-equipped to do it and a drunk.
0: Well, he's dealing with his own... uh Issues. Issues.
2: So, but yeah, I do, I want to talk about this memory thing. Because the memories that Harry chooses, I think, say a lot about him. And mm-hmm. I feel like you could, like, write a whole paper or book on the three memories that Harry reaches for. And the order in which he reaches for them. So
0: let's walk through them. The first one is the first time he wrote a broomstick.
2: Which is interesting because that's sort of Harry connecting. I I think Harry's a really physical person. Mm -hmm. I think athletes, I mean, we've talked lots about Harry as an athlete and as a jock. And I think kind of a quality that a lot of really athletic people have in common is being sort of more comfortable in their bodies than in their minds or really connected with their bodies as a major part of their kind of like holistic beings. And so I think it's interesting that Harry picks a memory That's like incredibly specifically like physical. Mm -hmm. And he even describes recalling the physical sensation of being on a broom for the first time. And the soaring feeling in his stomach and like the wind in his hair. So I think that sort of tells us what Harry's like. His sort of like improv like first thought best thought. Connection to happiness or joy is kind of in his body. But that's also not enough it turns out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the second memory is winning the house cup, which I mean that is connections with friends, um, but or I don't have it's you connections read into it? with yeah.
2: friends. But it's also like it's a sense of accomplishment, and he likes to win. I mean he's competitive. That's a very Gryffindor memory to reach for. I think right that sort of like his competitiveness and desire to prove himself. I think that's a memory that sort of shows us Harry's some of his really essential kind of Gryffindor qualities.
0: Right. And the third memory is when he found out he was a wizard, which is really about identity, him learning his place in the world.
2: And that's the one that works. So I think we sort of like, in this scene in a really interesting way, we sort of like dive down through the layers of what makes Harry, Harry. Mm -hmm. So I think his first connection with identity is Quidditch and and his athleticism and his role as a, a leader in Quidditch. And then yeah that second level is this combination of community and competition. But his core, these questions of identity are the most important questions that Harry Potter ever has to ask himself. So I think it's telling that that's the happy memory that ends up giving him access to the power to cast the Patronus and then a little bit of a spoiler but later on the memory that he accesses to cast his most powerful Patronus in this book is the memory of finding out that he has a family. He thinks about the first moment that he realizes that Sirius is not a traitor that Sirius loves him and that Sirius can give him a home. So I think that's like the very central tenet of identity for Harry.
0: So that brings me back to the question about what makes a memory happy. Because the kind of emotional core of this chapter is the block that Harry is struggling with. And that's that he kind of wants to hear his parents' voices. And that would be his happiest memory. But it's tangled up in all this tragedy
2: Which is so profound and it's so beautifully done in this chapter.
0: And and that's what makes casting the Patronus difficult because, you know, because Harry's happiest memories, even discovering Sirius.
2: They're connected to his parents. Yeah. They're connected to the memory of his parents. Right.
0: Yeah. They're bound up in all this pain.
2: Well, and I think that moment over and over in these books is sort of at the core of Harry's being. The war between the evil that killed his parents and the good that saved him is like basically the central conflict of the series. Mm -hmm. In the first book you get his mother's love protecting him from quarrel. Over and over you see that this struggle, the struggle of the most painful thing that happens to Harry is also the thing that he wants most badly to return to, which is the last moment of his parents' life. I think that's just, like, a really... You're right. I think this is a turning point chapter. And I think this is, like, kind of a fulcrum of the series.
0: Yeah. And it's it's kind of when he can embrace that memory in a way that he's able to unlock this power. And I don't. I was just thinking about happy memories in general and how you can look back and... Happy memories are sad memories, too. Because, you know, our memories change based on event like later events and context
2: well and also like really intense emotion is usually a mixture mm -hmm. here's an example from my life one of the happiest or sort of one of the most deeply felt and moving times I can remember is the week or so that we spent in Alabama after my beloved paternal grandmother died which was one of the hardest things that's ever happened to me but the amount of communion and togetherness and just like familial love and strength that I felt like in the direct aftermath of that loss is one of my most dearly held memories Mm -hmm. so I think this is like a really true account of what it's like to have had something extreme happen to you especially when that extreme thing revolves around your family like or the the people that you love most right man these books are deep
0: yeah well i was thinking i was having you know similar thoughts about my own my grandfather and you know trips we'd been on and uh you know they're really happy memories but they're tinged with uh you know this uh melancholy or bittersweetness
2: Well, but that – and it deepens those memories. Like once you've lost someone, your memories about them become more highly colored, I guess. Like they gain a certain quality. I have lots of happy memories like with my parents. Like tons. But they would be a different quality of happiness if – and I guess probably when I lose them. Yeah. And so yeah, Harry's like – emotions are all bound up together and this is like Harry is really learning and like letting himself feel his feelings for the first time in this book which I really like and I really do think that Lupin is like a a valuable portal through which Harry can kind of like feel his own feelings I think Lupin's a pretty extraordinary man you know
0: I would agree yeah he's definitely one of my favorite characters
2: He gives Harry a lot. And I think he gives Harry more than Harry knows as a young person. Like I bet Harry, if you could kind of talk to the fictional character. (laughs) But as even like as a teenager, I bet that he wouldn't necessarily identify Lupin as like front and center of his ability to start to heal. But to me, kind of like if you look at it from the outside, Lupin is an incredibly vital part of Harry's coming into his own and sort of starting to heal a little bit. Right. So
0: so, what would you think about to cast your Patronus? Because that's kind of a personal question. I'm not sure. I was thinking about it for myself. and uh,
2: I don't, yeah. This
0: might be for further study.
2: I don't know what my Patronus would be. Because I think it's, one of the things that Harry learns is happiness is different from like elation or excitement right so I guess my your first my first reaction might be to think about something like a time when I've won a thing yeah but as we learn from this chapter that's not good enough
0: oh I was gonna say our wedding probably was my first thought
2: I mean yeah I think our (laughs) wedding is probably
0: or the proposal
2: oh yeah
0: it probably involved you
2: oh I think mine would involve you.
0: Um, although, although I don't. There's all these like
2: childhood memories. Yeah,
0: there's and there's lots of just I don't know. There's like
2: glimpses and flashes. when you flashes. think about yeah,
0: it's interesting to think about happy memories because you know you have yeah there's glimpses and flashes or just times that you've been very content which seem really representative of a feeling but not a specific like
2: event memory. You know the yeah. other thing I wonder. This would be interesting. To like learn about if there's any way to learn about it this within the Harry Potter universe. I wonder if like the memory that you access like changes the quality of the Patronus. Right. Like if different kinds of happiness produce different kinds of spells. Like a childhood memory versus an adult memory. Like thinking about your best vacation as a kid versus our wedding.
0: Right, right. Yeah, Um, uh, that's... uh,
2: I don't know. Yeah, well, this is really interesting magical mechanics.
0: That's right. It's an interesting thought experiment, too. Like, what? I don't know. What would that be? Somebody think about it, guys.
2: And the crazy thing is, and what I like about this chapter is we can't know because we can't do a Patronus. Like, you don't know what your happiest memory is until you try to do a Patronus with what you think is your happiest memory, and your fucking Patronus doesn't work. (laughs) <laughs> that's a crazy thing Harry does is he's like, oh, I guess that isn't my happiest memory because it didn't work.
0: Right. So, what yeah, you I mean, you I would think learn I, a
2: ton about that's like why a, why therapy is a really good analogy.
0: I think I would feel really, I don't know, rejected by the universe if I thought of like, I don't know if I was like, OK, first dance with Heather and then my Patronus fizzled.
2: I mean, I would certainly feel rejected. I'd be like, what the what the <laughs> fuck, magic wand? Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it is interesting to watch Harry learn what makes him truly happy. But right. I also think there's a difference. But like, as a kid,
0: yeah, yeah, you
2: don't know. Like, I mean, Ron would probably be like candy. <laughs> My Patronus is candy. Uh,
0: Percy's is losing his virginity to, to Penelope, Penelope Clearwater. Clearwater.
2: No, Percy's is no. It's becoming head boy. It's
0: head boy. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Percy cares about his weird fascistic little medals more than he cares about anything else even
0: more than the victory sex after they were both named head boy and head girl
2: i don't know why you think percy is such a stud like i'm not saying
0: he's a stud i'm just saying this is geek sex you know what? this is like weird
2: i think they've just like creepy is, fooled around no, this is they're ba- only no. like 15 no
0: they're 17 in this book
2: okay no, right. this is like
0: band nerd status like
2: like messing kink. around
0: yeah yeah you know.
2: i do okay fair enough if that's what you think um, I think Percy's <laughs> would pretty obviously be becoming head yeah,
0: boy. Yeah, obviously.
2: <laughs> and then getting head, boy! Whoa! whoa! <laughs> we might cut that out.
0: I don't know. We it's might pretty have- <laughs> funny.
2: <laughs> okay. Um, who's your unsung hero?
0: Mine would be the Muggle Studies professor, who, which I had to look up because I couldn't remember. Charity Burbage, who dies in book seven. Another thing I had forgotten. Uh... Anyway, why,
2: why is she unsung in this book?
0: She's unsung in this book because Hermione, just it's kind of a throwaway line. Hermione's been assigned an essay about, the question is, why do muggles need electricity? And I was thinking, oh, that's a very good question. That, I would probably, as a muggle, I would have never really stopped to think about that. I mean, I know I, it, we needed to run things, but if you actually had to explain it... Uh, it would get into you get into a lot of interesting questions, yeah. So, muggle studies, which is derided as a soft option by some people in the wizarding world, actually seems to be the most intellectually rigorous class that I've certainly, uh,
2: oh, ancient runes seems harder, but that seems like it's basically wizard math. No,
0: but muggle studies is like actually sociology, they're like, okay, what is electricity? What is
2: yeah. yeah, it's basically like how do you build a society? Yeah. What does it Sociology, mean? Sociology.
0: It's si- you'd have to get into science and anthropology. To get into, yeah, energy, like so. uh, the whole uh, that that just seems that seems like a real fucking essay rather than. Plus, where like, do you find the like weird
2: stone in the goat's stomach? Yeah, it's that thing called
0: oh the uh, bazaar.
2: Yeah, it sucks that she gets murdered.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's clearly the best teacher.
2: I don't know if she's the best teacher. If she was clearly the best teacher, I think she would make more appearances. But she's a good unsung hero.
0: That's true. Anyway. Also, it was hard to find unsung heroes because we only read one chapter this week. And it was
2: mostly just the three main characters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, My unsung hero is the Boggart, who is a working monster. Yeah. He's, like, given a job to do. He's like, man... I just want to fucking live in a cabinet and just like mind my own business. And you keep like prodding me out of my deep, dark hole to like pretend to scare this kid. Like
0: And become a Dementor. The Bogart's like, I don't like this any more than you do. He's
2: like, man, Dementors are terrible. Yeah. Can I just be a shapeless wisp in this fucking cabinet and like mind my own business? Like Bogarts get like union breaks. I don't know. I just like that he's a working monster. The audio clips that you heard this week are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio, Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Please do the stuff you do with podcasts. Subscribe on iTunes, rate us five stars, leave us a review. We've gotten lots of lovely ones in the last couple of weeks, so keep those coming.
0: This week's episode is brought to you by quality Quidditch supplies. For when you really need to polish your broom handle.
2: Not a euphemism, kids.
0: No, you really need to polish. Polish sell, them poli- broom handles. There's a lot of like weird broom maintenance, like twig clipping, and how many? Eventually, you would run out of like twigs to clip. Like you'd have no more broom, broom. twigs. It's true, broom twigs. Uh, no, it's. I don't really get. I don't really get this like lavish attention to the broom, but uh, I guess that's part of the laws.
2: That is part of the laws. I think that's part of the troll.
0: <laughs> this troll goes all the way to the top.
2: All the way to Joe.
0: Yeah, it's trolls all the way down or whatever. (laughs) To the top, all the way down.
2: Mixing metaphors. It's fine. Um, Follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Quibbler Podcast. Subscribe to our sort of semi-weekly slash whenever we write it, but it's usually pretty good newsletter, which is at tinyletter.com slash Quibbler Podcast. We definitely don't email you too much. (laughs) <laughs> so if that's your worry when you subscribe to stuff, um, don't worry. It's, it's good. Good and sort of rare.
0: Like deliveries by Errol the owl.
2: Yeah, it is. It's like getting mail from Errol, which is like, will it come? Who knows? <laughs> Maybe. Next week, we really are going to read two chapters. And they will be Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw and Snape's Grudge. So we're plowing right on through the second half of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. That's it from us this week. Thanks,
0: amigos.
1: Arithmancy looks terrible, said Harry, picking up a very complicated-looking number chart. Oh no! It's wonderful! It's my favorite subject! It's... But exactly what was wonderful about arithmancy Harry never found out.